everybody, and welcome back to the DM's Book Club, a motley collection of tales and guides that we're throwing at you to help improve your GMing, which I always get confused with DMing, which is, what is it? Is a GM is, is the non-D&D equivalent, right? The general master. Essentially, yeah. G- yes, Game exactly. master, general masters. <laughs> Precisely. My name is Ryan, and I frequently get stuck with acronyms, confusing myself with everything from what DM and GM means and everything else we've ever done in terms of topics. And here with me, putting up with me, is Fiona. Hello. 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 I'm putting up with you is a, is a strong word. I, I think I think we're we're above colleagues now. I think we're we're okay. <laughs> Do you? That's that's great. That's oh, wonderful. you don't. Okay. What have you been up to this week? <laughs> this week, oh, it, it's been amazing. I've been on holiday. I've, I've I, this is this is me recording in the past, so the future. I bet it went brilliantly. I had a great time, and yeah. I stayed inside, so it was all good. Brilliant. Stayed inside, kept safe. Future Fiona had a whale of a time. Yeah, very yeah. similar. Actually, it's oh. been it's been a funny old few months isn't it but we're all keeping ourselves busy and yeah recording podcasts because what else yeah. are you gonna do in your time with all of this lovely free time that you've had mm-hmm. what have you been reading what are you going to tell me about today well ryan as, as i sort of hinted, hinted to last time i don't know how people do this because i i dnd we've always said it's basically a role-playing version of a video game it's mostly combat heavy and it's all about that and one of the real things i think i know i struggle with and i wonder if new dms struggle with it um is running a combat and running a combat running combat um i feel I like, like running a combat that's quite good <laughs> I think the thing is, because it's very exciting when you're a player and you're like, oh, here's the big bad and you're going to do this and do this. And that's very exciting. But when you're doing the, what I call the admin side of it, and you're making sure that it's like, um, what they call like stage manager, you're like, and cue Hobgoblin and cue the dragon, you know, and then all these things going on when you've got lair actions and all this sort of thing. It's actually, I feel it's it's one of the most boring things to do, but it's one I mess up all the time. So I thought, (laughs) why not have, have a see what the Dungeon Master's Guide says and it turns out there's actually a few different ways to run combat, which I didn't realize. So I thought we'd talk about it today and talk about admin. Hooray. <laughs> admin. It's the most fun part of combat. And so we're going to specifically going to be talking about some of the optional combat rules from a Dungeon Master's Guide from right. age 247. Mm-hmm. He's frantically looking at his book and checking he's read the right bit. So we'll find out. <laughs> mentioned before one of the things you find particularly enjoyable is keeping track of the admin of of combat and specifically initiative so mm-hmm. tell me a bit about initiative and, and how it works and, and, and what you're going to bring to the table absolutely so in, in case people uh, haven't played D or are not too sure essentially when you go into combat uh, the dm will ask you to roll initiative and that's rolling your d20 and usually adding your initiative modifier or technically your dexterity modifier and the person with the highest dexterity modifier or the highest initiative will usually go first it basically means who is the quickest to react to a situation which is very quickly going south i like to think so usually there's people who are a bit quicker on the draw or you know usually you've got your monks and your your, your rogues etc um sometimes it's just very lucky uh, you might get advantage on initiative and stuff and roll twice and get the highest number and usually we've played it sort of like if you and another player or another creature uh, tie for initiative so you get the same result it's usually the person that has the highest 
first dexterity modifier or initiative modifier to go first because they are just slightly a little bit quicker than the other person. But that's essentially it. When you when you go into combat, that is what you roll, and that dictates the order in which players go in. So you have uh, what essentially the uh, the round essentially, and each round is in real time six seconds, and each player has their turn essentially. And you'll go through. Say you've got like three players and two uh, bad guys or bad people, and you could just go through that order. And once once they get to the end of the round, you start again from the top and go down as well. And that that is genuinely what all the lists talk about in the sense of like what order people go in, how did they react. It usually is a set order. It's always going to be this person first because they rolled the highest and then followed by this and this. And you might change a little bit. There might be two rounds in, another mob of uh, bad people sort of come in and then start attacking you from another side. Maybe there's a lair action. Maybe there's like at the top of each round and you have to make a save, etc. And have the environment attack you as well, which is always my downfall in any situation. Like, damn it, I forgot the floor can betray you. <laughs> Never trust the floor. Never so trust the floor. Basically just a long, uh, like a schedule effectively, like an order of, of service oh, where if yeah. you just keep going in a list, it starts from the top, go to the bottom and then start from the top again. Everyone has an order. It's a logic. Otherwise, I mean, we've, I've seen combat done before without initiative, and it can be very difficult to make sure that everybody has a go. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets an equal weight in terms of like what they want to do. It can get very chaotic. So it's effectively trying to put structure into something totally imaginary. And actually, that's, that's a very good point as well. Like sometimes, you know, if you are maybe not as confident in your abilities as a player or, or you're just like maybe a bit uh, more sort of you have more of a quiet voice. Sometimes, you know, if, you, if there's no structure at all, you might not go at all. And you have sort of people speaking over you. So at least with this sort of system, you get your chance to do something. And, you know, it might be attacking the creature. It might be running away. It might be hiding. It might be trying to figure out something in the heat of the battle, whatever it is in that six turns. And in case again people aren't aware when you are a player you have sort of three things you can do you can move so you can move up to your movement anywhere within range it might be a check depending on if it's difficult terrain or not you have your action which is usually usually attacking the creature or or doing a spell or, or doing anything like that and then your bonus action is something quick whether that's um i, I guess it's like sheathing or unsheathing a weapon uh, in some games obviously it's um, bonus action to take a healing potion yourself i know that's a rule that is usually an action in the dm's guide but i think most players are now like no nah, it's it's bonus action because it's a lot easier and there's also something called a free action where you could just speak aloud or do something something that's not necessarily impactful on battle but maybe alerts other people or, or something something else that's not necessarily falls within those three categories as well i'd say lots of stuff that you can do and it just is as you say you, you keep doing the rounds over and over and over and over until there's some sort of resolution one of the problems of initiative is that you it's, it's not that it's um fixed that your dexterity kind of gets put down and you roll and it's the same sort of way every time so yeah. tell me some other ways you can do initiative what's what's the sort of the plan of attack here so the so the traditional sort of way there's it, it talks about three big ways in this sort of the combat section of the book it talks about a hidden list a visible list and index cards and most people i think will be aware of hidden lists so it is what you said you you roll your d20 you add your dex modifier you are put in an order that's usually in an excel spreadsheet or on a piece of paper and then you go from each turn but the players don't necessarily know 
what's coming up next. They'll be able to work it out maybe two or three rounds into it going, okay, I think uh, Aubrey goes first and then I, I can go, etc. cetera. Um, you don't necessarily know how injured a creature is. For example, you can ask for descriptions and stuff, you know, if they look bloodied or if they, they look like they're about to flee and stuff like that, but you don't know what they're going to do per se. The only thing with that is that, again, it's mostly up to the DM for admin side going, okay, you're next. And it's easy to forget because obviously in the heat of battle, you're like, okay, running around and then trying to not only take the damage, account for any lair actions or any silly things that the players have done because we always do silly things in initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to forget someone's turn if you're caught up in sort of the excitement of the battle. Like I've definitely forgotten my turn because I've been I've been just excited to see what other people are doing. And then it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, you can have your turn now. And that again could influence the, the battle as well. So that's sort of the main one I think most people use is our hidden lists. Then you've got visible lists, which is essentially the same thing, but it describes it as having like a whiteboard somewhere and giving another player in charge of it so that they can write down visibly, okay, it's this person, then this person, then the big bad, then the environment, etc. And so everyone can see where they are, but it does remove that element of surprise. You know, it's like, okay, the layer action's up next. And it then does encourage players understandably i think to meta game slightly go okay this person goes next if you hold your action i can do xyz and then you can go you know and it's one of those things again in a video game when you're playing say final fantasy 7 or anything like that you can have your party and you go okay well if they go first then i can do this and it maximizes the amount of damage and I think if that's the sort of game you want to play if you really want to work out all of those um those ways of doing it good for you i prefer being on the back foot quite a lot and I, it happens to me a lot when i when i do other games and and, and improv and stuff i actually like being challenged to try and think of something on my feet because there's always the default actions i can do absolutely but actually be going oh okay this is something new i'm gonna have to completely rethink how i'm gonna act this scene and how would i keep it true to the character how would i keep it true to my reaction etc without necessarily going oh that's that's really important. We need to we need to deal with that right now. Those are the two main uh, sort of ways that you have like a list thing. The other way, which it talks about, which actually I've only ever seen uh, my fiance Jacob use, is index cards. Where again, it is a list, but you everyone rolls stuff and then you just put their names on index cards and you just go through the order. And as soon as someone's done or is is finishing their turn, you just put the index cards at the bottom of the pile, and then it has you know the stats of the big bad or whoever is on the card. And that works quite well as well. Like I, it was interesting to see that actually in play because then they don't necessarily know who is up next, but at least then you have a, a tracker of who is next currently. The only issue is that you need to remember to move the card forward. Yeah. Uh, otherwise you can exactly. get stuck and stuff. Yeah. Now, there are advantages and disadvantages to each each one. Like I, I like the idea of giving players responsibility for doing some of the initiative because as a DM, it takes a lot of effort and yeah. multitasking off you at the expense of, of giving them more information than they would normally have on an initiative thing. And it, it's mm. all about avoiding, well, no, not necessarily, but sometimes it's all about avoiding metagaming and, and yeah. sort of being beyond the game. Other people don't mind that at all and they like to, to sort of play it in that way. I always think with index cards, what's how would you end up putting surprise monsters in or or sort of throwing things into it? Would you just have to remember where it was in the index cards and, and throwing new cards in as you're going through? I, I guess is a yeah. way of doing it. I guess you, you maybe already have the stack ready to go. And as soon as you get to go, not till round two or whatever, and then just have to remember when the round is coming up, I guess. But I agree. Like, it's like 
again, is that something where you have to be really on it to be like, okay, this now monster comes in, it gets slotted. Maybe they only get slotted at the end of the round or at the beginning of the round rather than halfway through, which can be, again, depends on what kind of creature it is. It doesn't necessarily give that same surprise. It's like, okay, it's a new round. Oh, look, more people have joined us. Who knew, you know? So yeah, Yeah. I definitely see that. So we're going to jump wildly to another part of the Dungeon Master Guide, which is page 270. But when we talk about initiative, there's different ways you can even then spice up, not just the tracking of initiative, but also Mm. like giving more variance about how it works. And and some of these seem mad. So we've been talking about what I would call traditional initiative, where you just roll D20 plus your decks. That's your number. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some other ways you can do it. The first option is just have your initiative score. Uh, sorry, have your have ten plus your initiative score, and mm. you just do that. So for like a passive creatures. check, like you would do for passive perception, or exactly. So again, that could screw over people who don't have necessarily good initiative. But then you always have the set way things are going so obviously some creatures move slower than others so certainly big bads maybe go much later in the turn than you expect um i think again it just makes it for ease because obviously it's like well no one needs to roll dice they don't want to but you know fun fact that everyone loves rolling dice i guess um and that uh, that chance to be able to like oh wow i actually I actually go first and then have the panic of going, oh God, I'm going first. What what do I do? And stuff like that. But it, that is a really good way of just streamlining it completely, just having 10 plus your, your decks or your initiative modifier. It then talks about something called side initiative, which I think both you and I have seen in play. Now, this was a, a, oof, about a year and a bit ago, I think, but we went to see uh, a production called Adventurers Wanted, which is essentially is a live performance of D&D on stage, a bit like when you see streaming and stuff. But what the DM did, they said for ease, uh, we're just going to toss a coin and it's going to be the players versus the audience. It's going to be side initiative. And that means that you know whoever has the highest decks or whoever wins the coin toss, they will go first and then it will go through that team, essentially until the end and then the other team gets to go and it's just it's just literally a game of two sides and that's very good it's very easy to watch for streaming purposes because then you're not having these roles and you're not having people shout out random numbers and then the awkward 30 seconds when we're all writing down etc what the order is Mm. you just know that okay it's my team's go at some point i will have a go and Mm. i would say on top of that i ran a game of uh, pugmire which is like a a DD fantasy variant which involves dogs of course. Um, <laughs> I, I said for a second, I thought it was some sort of dystopian, like criminal cyber <gasps> thing. No, pugs. Pugs. That's not where I thought that was going. They've also got a secondary book called Monarchies of Mao, which is about cats. Um, but their, but their, their initiatives, it's the same. Like it's the highest dex goes first, but then that character picks who goes next. And then you go down to the end of the round, and then whoever's last can choose to go again, starting the new round, so they get two turns in a row, or they can choose someone else. And what it naturally says in the book is, um, well, you know, it makes sense that you would pick someone in your own party. So then you, if the good guys go first, they get to pick all their players in a certain order, and then goes all the bad people, and so on and so forth. But then you might need to think about it tactically, well, well one of us should go last in the turns so that we get a double attack essentially. And that was interesting to role play actually and and play out because suddenly you're not sure 
what order you're going in anymore, but you can plan it a little bit. Going, okay, I'm going to choose uh, the ranger to go next to fire into things, and then and then they were like, oh, but then I want the big bad to go, and then with the warlock can finish it off. That sort of thing. So that's a bit more of an organic, fluid thing. This sort of side initiative, which I, I quite like. The downside to that, obviously, is that people can just team up on one enemy and then the enemy never gets to go because they're already dead before their turn comes up. Yeah, if you've got one entire side moving and then the other side, you've got all of your players who can use all their abilities, all their spells, and before you know it, the other side is totally dead before they even get to move. That yeah. It's very extreme. And I guess if you were a player on the receiving end of it and all the monsters got to all move first and two of you were unconscious before you got to act, mm. I could see that also not being the most fun that yeah. you could have on a day interestingly pugmire does like go away to sort of to stop this so there's essentially there's a bowl of fortune where you you put tokens in basically it's an inspiration a font of inspiration and if you if the dogs or the the the, the adventurers play to their traits etc or do something uh, you think is really cool you add to the font and what you can do you can interrupt a turn essentially i can choose a big bag to go next one of the players can be like no i take a token from the pool and I interrupt the turn obviously they can only do that so many times depending on how many tokens are in there but as as a as a dm you would add to the thing every time you wanted to interrupt the order and the players can take from when they want to interrupt the order and that's that actually worked quite well because you, you could then interrupt the flow quite easily um mm. but you couldn't do it all the time I think it's a give and take because you could as a, as a dm you could be really harsh and just add loads of tokens for one round and keep interrupting the players go knowing that this it could be like a really cool cinematic moment where they all turn and they go no we will not die this day and then take all the tokens and then interrupt any turn you had uh, on the way over so that's one way of doing it really cool i like i like that font idea like i mm. feel about doing that but it's like a sort of shared inspiration but we played uh was it like a star wars version yes. where it had a similar sort of feel like a sort of the force in the area being sort of pulled and pushed Mm, yeah, uh, story points. It's either story points or destiny points. There you go. Yes, destiny points. Yeah. So what if these options are far too generic and sort of easy to use? What if we had something that was incredibly complicated and very, very statsy? Could you think of anything that we could use? Ryan, wow, you were right on the money. I will get to that page. So I was not prepared, but yes. <laughs> I like to throw these things. You do. No, like I, I read this one, this idea, and yes. I thought, oh my God, trying to do this in practice would be ridiculous i feel like someone at wizards they're like we need more options for combat what can we do and someone said why don't this i would be very interested to see if anyone does this particular one but i'll describe it as it's called speed factor and and basically it is using their knowledge of the initiative order to influence their decisions it can get to the point where like oh they're metagaming or they're getting too prepared and it's predictable so why don't we just have more uncertainty at the cost of speed so everyone basically says what their action is and depending on whether it's a spell whether it's attacking at certain points using a two-handed weapon or one-handed weapon you get a minus to your your initiative modifier and once everyone has said what they're doing they roll the d20 and then you work out the order going down from uh, it's like a countdown from 30 and then people's actions go off when the numbers are hit but the sort of the the crux of this is that you have to do that action or lose your turn entirely you cannot change halfway through because the idea is that these things like casting a spell does take time like it says for spell casting you subtract the spell's level so if you're going to cast like a level six spell that's a minus six to your initiative 
um and that that can be quite effective if you're going to do i don't know like a fireball or anything like that but other people have gone first and maybe rushed in and then got stuck or anything like that you have to do that spell or you lose your turn and the spell slot as well and i was like wow it's a lot and i just it sounds awful (laughs) (laughs) it sounds very very intense in terms of just the amount of rolling you've got to do because in this you have to roll every turn in secret so if you decide to as i say like you've got a paladin you've got plus zero to dexterity but you have a heavy weapon and you're planning on casting a spell as well then you would roll every turn and yeah i could imagine there'd be a lot of wasted turns using this tactic like if you had cast a level five spell and your target is dead before the roll comes around and you can't use it anymore like that's harsh do you say well you have to cast the spell or do you say oh well i'll let you get away with a cantrip then instead like what's the you'd have to do a lot of house rolls to make this work i feel but equally i'd love to give it a go because i reckon it would be very strange as to like whether people would go you know what i'm actually going to carry loads of light weapons around now and yeah. have uh, a halfling because they get more of an initiative modifier than someone else like that's yeah yeah i can see this being really fun yeah so that that's the thing there is two separate tables one for the factors so like what is your action in the combat itself per turn but yeah creature size as well like a tiny creature will get a plus five to initiative because obviously you're thinking like small um what are they called now i've completely uh oh it's like uh, whatever the imps are that are flying around on, on wings i think they're just called imps uh, they're going to be really <laughs> quick and they're going to just attack you uh, any swarms of creature will be very quick as well and it's just uh, yeah it's just one of those things where it'd be cool to try i think it would be one of those things which you would do maybe in a one shot of just one encounter so like a battle royale or something like that and try it out but it's going to take i think for every hour you play of a, of a combat and let's face it combats go on for quite a long time it's not necessarily as quick as we, as mm, they we can. say they really can yeah can you imagine an hour but it's gonna i think it would go up to maybe three hours just making sure the rolls go right and getting people used to the idea that you roll in secret and then you act it'll be quite exciting i think but god running it i think i would lose the will to live i think by round two uh yeah. and I'd be like no nah, no forget this <laughs> i think that's fair yeah absolutely it, it's it's a very very admin heavy version of it but i guess it does scratch that itch if you want something that's more reactive to what people are doing and doesn't require more averagey sort of stats that can just sort of fix an order in like if you if you don't know what the initiative order is going to be from turn to turn i could imagine that would be very different as to how you would plan a combat like if if you know you're going up next you can metagame it if you don't know when you're going then oh yeah i can see that being very very confusing in terms of thought process and deciding what you wanted to do and i think it brings on to a good point i think because a lot of people like i said when you think of DD, it does feel like a video game in certain aspects certainly like the way combat is streamlined that you have certain a certain amount of time to do certain things and everything costs an action or a bonus action etc and i don't know i feel like me as a player what i try and do i try and react uh, you know if someone shouts out to oh, hit the person i'm like okay they shouted it out so that's fine i don't necessarily know if that person's gonna use a fireball or use any of these things unless they're going to go oh, you get out the way i'm about to use fireball which is obviously very clunky exposition um or being used to oh they're going to do hypnotic pattern or anything like that mm-hmm. so i i think especially with one shots 
it's I think I don't know I, I I try my best not to meta games and certainly and we've talked about this before when you see a creature and you recognize what it is or there's a magic item and I know I react I go oh, that's really cool but I always try and like keep silent and just like you know what let this play out because it's more fun for people to work out what it is or to to role play it in a certain way and I feel the same in combat as well like I know and I say this as someone who's taken a very basic character <laughs> and just has free moves and I forget one of the moves all the time (laughs) (laughs) but at least I feel like then I I know by default I will always fall back on these moves but then if something else happens I can factor that in whereas I feel like with spellcasters certainly you have so many options but obviously if you stack it in a certain way then you just yeah it it, it gets to the point where you can you need to know maximizing certainly if you're playing a class like rogue which depends on like sneaking in, having advantages of you really need to be aware what other people are doing. And I feel like I maybe wouldn't be able to play a rogue as well. Cause I think I'd be asking like, Oh, what are you doing next? Cause then mm. I'll do this. Even though rogues tend to go first anyway, cause they've got ridiculously high decks. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, you would, there would be some, some very interesting ways of having to sort of track it and and mm. think about it differently to, to how we're used to doing it like yeah i i, I think heavy spellcasters spellcasters with really high spell levels could be atrociously difficult to use like yeah, yeah I, I could just see that being an absolute nightmare not just initiative there's loads of things in this chapter talking about ways that a dungeon master can deal with stats and uh, how the game works and how combat works and, and different sort of variants um we obviously have spoken about initiative quite a lot but mm-hmm. there's a lot about hit points and sort of conditions and average damage i mean tell us a little bit about that sort of thing Again, this is another thing where, and I will say this, a lot of this book does talk about using maps and miniatures and stuff, which, again, depends on that sort of play. Obviously, we've used maps and miniatures when we played in real life, and a lot of people use it when they play like on Roll20 or any other sort of tabletop simulator to simulate a war game because again like i said like it is it is essentially a game where if you map it out then you can maybe see options that you weren't aware of due to sort of what the way things have been described so i will say obviously like there's a whole bit about like how hexes and squares work which instantly was like i don't care about i don't i know they're different shapes that's as far as i got mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but improvised damage is an interesting thing because again these things happen all the time where you're on the battlements and uh, there's a siege going on and you go oh, I'm just going to take a brazier and just fling it at the creature that's coming up uh, a ladder. It's like, well, how do you, what do you do for for damage and stuff like that? And they've got, you know, a nice little table about like, you know, improvising damage is like, if it's something very small, like, you know, burning coals or like, so it's like hit by a falling bookcase. I'd love to know what one shot that came up in. Then you just throw, mm-hmm. what library that happened in. Um, so that's yeah. like a 1d10. And then it goes <laughs> up from there. Like everything is always d10s, which I, I think is a quite a nice number, I think. Yeah, and rounds off with the really, really delightful tumbling into a vortex of fire on the elemental plane of fire. Yes. It's like, okay, great. That's that's wonderful. 24d10 damage. Oh, yeah, like submerged in lava, something like that. Like, ugh. Yeah, being crushed in the jaws of a godlike creature or a moon-sized monster. You're like, oh, yeah, of course, the moon-sized monster, which no one's ah, talked yes. about. The moon-sized. I'm surprised it even does damage. Like a moon-sized monster surely would just kill someone. But yeah, oh, right. Yeah, but I guess. Yeah, but yeah. again, it's that sort of thing. Is that people like rolling dice, so we've got to give it to them, I guess. But yeah, so does that. And what I quite like from this is what it talks about damage severity and level. So it gives you that idea. It's like, okay, if you've got a, a lower level party, like what sort of damage do you think uh, will just wipe out the party completely? And usually when it's a lower level from like one to four, it's 4d10. 
which obviously to me is like that seems very low but then i got wiped out by a crocodile so it's all it's all it all comes back to stuff yeah, exactly deadly doesn't necessarily mean it has to kill but it, it has the capability to kill mm. in a bad situation that's kind of what they're going for there like as i say like level four if you're a wizard you probably got along the lines of maybe 23 24 hit points so 4d10 easily can wipe you out in one go but mm-hmm. if you're a barbarian you could have 50 hit points so yeah. you'd be absolutely fine it's just a scratch that sort of uh that sort of it's action just a flesh wound it's just fine go on go on hit me hit me uh, yeah but yeah. but you're right it's, it's a lot of this it's all about improvising and using theater of the mind and and there are all kinds of rules you can use if you've got maps and if you are using miniatures and and counting things that way but there are some really interesting things here about if you're using theater of the mind and you don't necessarily have a map you're trying to describe what's going on with just using words and and averages and and things like that i mean the area of effect sort of Mm. thing quite interesting yeah so in area of effect it just says sort of you take the sort of the size of the effect itself so like take the example of a cone you have the size and then you divide by 10 so when you do a cone or anything like you get the size of the cone you divide it by 10 and that on average is how many creatures are caught in the cone if you you know if you're like oh god i've put them around the map at some point um let's just try it like that and you always round up as well so you always have you don't like catch half a creature in a cone or anything like that so that that's pretty good and it's it is a nice way because again all these things of areas of effect you've got cone cube cylinder what things are a cylinder is that like moonbeam and stuff or is that yeah, something that, that comes down from the sky in like a sort of yeah, like a shower sort of thing. Oh, I never, I never realised that. I, I guess I always assume line and cylinder were the same thing, uh, but I guess cylinder yeah. you could just put on. The yeah, side. they they very much are. I think the difference between them is that a line is sort of from whatever point you're casting it out in a direction of your choosing. So you could use a line directly up, but a cylinder specifically is like a spotlight from above. Like it, it has an area of the floor, but it captures like a like a sphere but then it goes directly up so everything above it also gets caught as well again it describes this in a much more detail in the player's handbook and they actually have diagrams but it, it does feel that that was meant really for you know wargaming and, and maps as well so that you can actually measure out the squares or anything like that so when you're doing theater of the mind stuff it can be a little bit confusing or work you know you're like oh god how many people do i capture in so having something like this where like it says it gives the example of uh, burning hands towards a group of orcs it goes well you know it's you know 15 feet divided by 10 that's 1.5 round that up you catch two orcs in that which i think is actually quite fair like it, it's not like it's not like you're not going to catch any of them, but at the same time, you're not going to catch five or six, which might seem overpowered. Mm. So, so it, it's quite a nice way of uh, of easily doing that uh, from a DM's point of view. Again, it's it's something that players probably would just be like, ah, I do this, and you go, okay, and then then you do the quick math on that. So yeah, I think that's a it's a really nice little table, which again I hadn't really considered before. I just assumed that you just I assumed, Ryan, because you're so great, you just pick. Oh, it's going to be free orcs at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about using common sense, I think, isn't it? Like there's, mm. there's different averages you can use. There's different, if you know that some things are in a certain area and you've described it in a certain way. I mean, you, you like to reward players for using a bit of um, creativity and, and common sense and logic. So if they put something on the table that seems really sensible, then you know what? You might as well mm. go for it. The line of sensibility, though. I, I definitely, I've definitely done some players going, oh, I don't know how I'd rule this. I'll yeah. see what Ryan says. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's all about theatre of the mind and, and using your 
brain to fill in the blanks effectively of to make it seem as real as you can because if you've got a map then you've got miniatures you've got actual spatial awareness of, of what's happening but with theater of the mind to be fair if, if anything it lets you get away with more mm. rather than less because you are not constrained by very specific geometry and direction and you can kind of describe it and and maybe get away with a little bit more by saying oh if i push that a little bit further if i do this or that then it just seems to be better. I think people can rely on maps too much. Some yes. encounters do work very well with theatre of the mind. Um, and I think some classes and spells work better with maps and some work with, mm. with theatre of the mind. But yeah, using a bit of difference and a bit of variety in what you do, I think is you're, you're going to get good results and, and mm. there's something here. Now, one thing we've had quite a few times in encounters of our campaigns and, and one shots and things are mobs and mm. large amounts of enemies who will sort of appear from nowhere and suddenly you've got 30 little goblins on you rather than one huge dragon and i know from uh, yes. experience but if you've got 30 attacks coming in it's a lot of dice rolling yeah. and there's a lot of like oh for god's sake right here we go and <laughs> there's some really good rules on, on how to deal with mobs on this actually yeah so again it's like you said like in order to keep things going you want to make sure like you know there's going to be some hits somewhere but i guess it depends on like like you said how many is it is it going to be 30 well then that's like you said there's a lot of rolling and if they're if we're they're using flanking or if they've got advantage in some other way like pack tactics that's another one uh it's like oh god what you know has a lot of dice rolling a lot of numbers i think you've done it before when you've definitely had I think up to eight, I think you've rolled like dice for, and then anything in double digits, you've gone, no, which I think is completely fair. But mm. so in this one, it gives the example of how do you handle it? So it says, uh, instead of rolling an attack, determine the minimum D20 roll that would hit and then do sort of an average on that. So it gives the example of eight orcs are surrounding a fighter. If the fighter's AC is 19 and it's a plus five to hit, the minimum that they're going to roll is uh, a 14. And you just work it out from there. Like it's, it says here, it's like uh, from the, there's a table, it's called mob attack and it talks about like what's the d20 roll you need okay attackers needed for it one to hit and here it says three so out of every three uh, orcs one will hit and so it's a quite nice way then you can sort of build it up from there say okay i've got six orcs two of them will hit nine three of them will hit and so on and so forth so and it's again it's just very helpful because then it just it just cuts down all that admin all that worry about stuff because obviously the players themselves they only really roll a couple of times in their turn whereas you may be rolling many times especially if you've got legendary actions if you've got mm. uh, environment and stuff so it just cuts down all that and working out like how much health people have if there's anything else coming it just it just yeah i think handling mobs again it, it depends on you know the encounter as well is it what kind of mob is it and the other thing that comes up a little bit later it talks about morale so if you've got uh, say a group of bandits who spring a surprise attack on you, but then it doesn't go their way. Your players kill the bandit leader, or they just don't land a hit on any of the um, players at all. It's mm. like, okay, are they going to keep fighting? Are they just going to run and leave? And I thought that was good. It has a whole list of uh, what people will do. 
Yeah, so it says minor characters might flee if they're surprised, because obviously it's like, oh god, what is this? You know, and especially if they are looking armoured to the teeth as well. If they're reduced to half its hit points for the first time in battle, because obviously suddenly you've taken a big hit and you're like, oh god, I could actually die. No harm is given to the other side. The leader is dead or taken prisoner. The group is reduced to half its original side with no losses on the other side. All that sort of thing. And then if there's no other route available to them, if they can't, they try and flee through like the quickest route possible. If they can't do that, then they'll just surrender. And I think that's interesting because a lot of the times, certainly early on when I played D&D, a lot of the times you're just fighting through swarms of, of enemies and like they cut them down. It's all great. It's all great. But then again, it just feels like a video game. Like, yeah, of course, they're not necessarily going to flee because um, they're programmed not to. Whereas these minor characters, the, these enemies are real people. You, you have to treat them as such and that they have their own flaws, they have their own feelings. So if they, if they do run away, it's then up to the players to be like, okay, we're going to follow them and kill them, which mm. I think that adds real sort of moral thing on top of that as well. It's like, do you, you know, they're running away. Do you yeah. stab people in the back like that? It's, oh, yeah. yeah. And it gives it, again, more flavor. It's all about building a story and making people immersed in, in what you're saying and, and, and what's going on. And as you say, avoiding that sort of RPG hack and slash pitfall mm. that is like, oh, you attack, you kill, you attack, you kill, blah, 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 blah. If the enemies have a moral compass or a sense of fear or, or morale, as you say, then it can be interesting because, yeah, you're faced with decisions and decisions are, are good, especially when those decisions are a bit gray as well. Yeah. Um, and, and especially nowadays when you have the two sort of different ways to gain experience obviously you know beforehand it'd be like every time you've killed something that's a bit of experience so you of course you'd go around farming up stuff and again that's the same in a video game whereas now obviously it's like okay you get points for missions and you know oh wow you found this extra thing that's a few more points and then you could have like what we do is story stories milestones where essentially like hey you reached this point have some xp or level up or have some extra cool things for, for your skills you're now proficient in xyz so there are other ways to go about this not necessarily killing everything in sight which actually i, I guess it just has a weird tone for me is like well i don't necessarily want to kill everything unless i have to because yeah unless yeah. they're going to come back and kill me later which exactly. in which case you know it's yeah. life is forfeit but you know <laughs> there's all kinds of different ways you can rule it and i think this is what the dungeon master's guide is really good at it kind of sets up here's how you play the game and then after that point goes and here's how you can change it and tweak it if it yeah. needs to be far, you know faster slower harder easier whatever it is and, and last uh, episode we were talking about magic items and the mm. rules about how you want to change how magic items work and i think especially with the ones with average damage and with as you say mob attacks and handling mobs there's some stuff here that you can use to basically create any encounter you want i mean i remember when we uh had uh, an encounter with a pirate ship where there was yes. lots and lots of ranged attacks coming Oof. in from one deck of the ship to the other and I remember thinking at the time, like, well, if there's 30 crossbow bolts mm. from very, very low skilled archers coming over onto a boat, how would you even rule that? Do you have to work out why like, 30 attacks, well, 10 go on this person, five go on this person, blah, blah. Yeah. And in the end, I just used a deck save effectively. So if you were on the deck, you took a deck save and you, you took some damage. But yeah. I guess this average... The good thing about this average uh, attack sort of mechanism is that if you've got a really high AC, you're likely to really survive very well. And if you don't have a high AC and you stick your head out, you're likely to get hit. So that gives a kind of like a feel of who's squishy and who's not. And 
when we look at monster manual guides as well, like it says, like okay, you can roll this mount for uh, a bite attack or something, or you can take average damage. And whilst that you're like, oh, but that it's fun to to be able to roll. And we're like, oh, they roll really high and stuff. I think that completely depends on how many creatures you've got. If you're again like if you've got eight hobgoblins and three of them hit then maybe you would roll but if you if you were like rolling for everyone and then it's just the amount of rolling adds i think it adds like at least a minute of time because you roll you work out you hit here's the damage roll again and it's it just adds a lot of time if you're that sort of person who loves rolling dice that's great you realize that every roll extends the combat by a little bit more and if, if someone's not into combat as well because obviously some players don't like combat at all they prefer social encounters and want to talk their way out of situations you might lose them or they might not be interested and then it comes to their turn and they've not been paying attention because of all these uh, different dice rolls so it's it's yeah. I, I think average i think a lot of people like sniff at it i think it's great i think it's nice to have yeah. a number just to throw at people and then they go oh god that's a lot of damage and you're like yeah, yeah. especially if you're a dm and you're trying to do a really really big encounter and an attack does 18 d4 you think <laughs> you know what i'm gonna use average damage i think yeah. that's probably quicker um, yeah definitely absolutely <laughs> So when you were going through, because we there's a loads of different topics here. When you were going through, is there anything that grabbed you or something you really like the look of, like something you would attempt to use? So a little bit later on, it talks about obviously different actions that players can do, which aren't necessarily I hit the thing, I run away from the thing, I dodge the thing. Uh, I even think dodge everyone forgets about at times. It's only mm. when when you see another minor character goes takes the dodge action, you go that's super smart, and then you get hit by whatever it is. <laughs> um, but it talks about some other action options you could do for combat and you can be added as a group or an individual and they are sort of climbing onto a bigger creature disarming it marking it uh overrun shove aside and tumble are sort of the main ones for that and i think these are interesting because again I don't know whether this is just me uh, as a player, because I've always, again, the way I was, way I was taught D and D in 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 the quotation marks, that like I only knew of those sort of three things, like you you move, you hit, you flee, you dodge. All those were the main things. Um, but some players are like, well, I want to be able to get on the troll like Legolas does in Lord of the Rings, and you go up. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Or I want to hit a particular point on this monster. And whilst a DM, you're like, well, that doesn't make a difference. But I guess it's maybe slightly harder to hit or yeah, you can mark it and then you have advantage against the attack. It doesn't necessarily do anything to that particular point. You might not be able to blind the creature or wound its like, arm hand or anything like that. But for flavor, that's a pretty cool thing to do. So yeah, so like I said, there's like this disarm, which is you make an attack roll and it's basically a contested sort of strength or uh, dexterity check so that they can hang on to their weapon essentially, mm. which is quite powerful because obviously if you disarm them, suddenly they're going to have to spend a little bit of time picking up their weapon you could try kick it away i guess um all, all they might have is like either a spell which is probably quite dangerous if you're in close range of someone or punching them with an unarmed strike which is not necessarily very strong either so that i think that was a quite cool one which it comes up in other rpg games uh, certainly call of cthulhu talks about disarming someone because usually it's about guns or knives or something like that and it's not in a fantasy setting obviously it can be set uh 1920s or modern day where it's unlikely you're going to have a weapon on you unless it's concealed i guess um which again so i just thought disarming it makes sense in a fantasy setting like you know as a, as a hero you want to disarm a creature before it surrenders perhaps and th these are all options that i've seen with um there's a type of fighter is it a martial uh, expert or something with, with okay. superiority dice where you can disarm people on attacks and things mm. so 
it kind of throws some of those rules in. Yeah, I always like giving people the option to do things instead of just attacking. But these are these are some really good ones, actually. Um, yeah, I think the disarm, as you say, is really fun you could come up with all kinds of fun things you could do with that one and overrun comes up quite a lot actually Mm. if you want to just push someone out of the way um being able to just sort of shove them out of the side is there anything in these chapters that you thought "Mm, i don't think i'd do that there's like this this maybe needs a bit of work or not quite a fan of this it's nice to see like oh these are options as well but again it's a lot of I guess there's a lot more checks and stuff. So like, uh, yeah, it makes sense. Like if you're climbing onto a bigger creature, uh, you're going to have to make a check to climb up and hold on. Th- those make sense, I guess. But like, I guess the shove aside one, the attacker has disadvantage on its strength check when it does so, when you, when you shove. I was just like, ugh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess because you have shove attacks, obviously, and stuff like that. I mean, some of these, like, when are you ever going to use tumble? Unless you're a very small creature that just goes through someone's legs and just run outside of them, I guess. I, I think some of these may be more flavorful. Uh, that if you, I don't know, I guess because I feel like these are checks that you just do, yeah, just do a, just do a dex check and it's not contested, perhaps. That, that's the thing. I feel like if you're a DM, the less rolling you do, the better for this. Because if they're like, I want to do this, you go, okay, you make the check for it. I'm not going to roll anything for it. And, and I'm just going to set a DC of um, like 15 or something mm. like that, or, or 10, rather than you rolling it. Because you could roll really poorly. And then suddenly your big uh, giant has, I don't know, three halflings on it. And, and it's just like, oh, God, this is, this is painful. I feel like I would get rid of contested checks. I would just say the player has to do it and it has to hit a certain DC depending on how difficult I find it. And you can just go like it's 10, 15, 20, 25, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. rather yeah. than you having to roll stuff. But otherwise, I think it's nice to have these options. And going back to the initiatives as well, I feel like, yeah, I, I, no, I have no intention of ever running the speed factor anytime soon without probably agreeing it with all the players and say, we're just going to test it and see what it's like and then see what other people think about it afterwards because it's I don't think it's anything you'd use for a long-term campaign at yeah, all. Totally agree. Yeah, it's it's um, I think it's just, I, I would want to give it a try to see what worked yeah. and what didn't work. Um, but I could just imagine some of them would just be absolutely ridiculous to try and use it's it's about having confidence i think with it as well i wouldn't do this with new players because i think that would really warp their version of like how how to play and it can be over it's overwhelming in general i think when you first start out because you're like oh god i don't know what to do any of these things and then going okay you got to roll this and you need to know what your spells do and all these things and i I think it would put off people quite quickly but i think if you've had a, a you know a couple of years running uh, campaigns well i wonder if uh and i don't want to say a bog standard player but any sort of normal player who's not necessarily run D maybe wouldn't want to do this whereas uh, from a dm point of view like oh this would be quite interesting to see how it plays out i think dms are always more curious to try things and go god that was awful well we won't we'll put that away for another time and not worry about it so yeah so, yeah exactly that is a great segue because i mean all of these rules are great opportunities to to let a dm really try something different to try mm. and change the game so what i was going to talk about next time actually mm. was options dm can use to change the game 
in its entirety to, you know to really change the way that D runs to change how people run it um and we're going to be looking at some chapter nine so in the dungeon master's workshop there are all kinds of sort of rules that are sort of feed on to the combat rules you were talking mm. but in terms of more running a game um thinking about hero points ability scores such as honor and sanity bringing yes. in fear and horror into a game if you wanted to play something more cthulhu like mm-hmm. um and even talking about advanced or futuristic technology and how you would bring that into a game as well oh. so just stuff that really might change a game in its entirety the other thing we can talk about as well which i find hilarious because i just love the idea about this is something called plot points which is where you can actually get the players to change how the game is being run mid-game um oh my God. which is something that's both horrifying and fantastic that that, that does sound int- terribly anxiety inducing i i <laughs> you must have had that at certain points in, in our campaign we've gone oh fuck and then you've got yeah. a week to sort it out so yeah yeah exactly we're gonna end the week at this point and we'll uh we'll pick this up next time and yeah. you know that's all great in the meantime before we have that episode what are you up to where can we find you where, where can we find me uh so my name is fiona i run the what am i rolling podcast uh twice monthly rpg one shot podcast as always going really well um i'm also always doing, going well always, always going, going well, well. I'm, hey, RPGs. Doing, I'm doing more improv stuff, which is always fun. I've been on something called Revenge of the Well a few times, which has actually been quite good. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago about playing characters uh, different genders to you. I've gone in the last couple of times playing a, a male character, and I've done some like I've done a drag beard, like one of those proper five o'clock <laughs> shadows. I, I tell you, our, our mutual friend Sam, who uh, designed the logo to this podcast, I we've, usually I hang out with him before uh, I go on stream, so. I ask him how the makeup looks and you can imagine Sam's reaction to anything that I wear is interesting enough as it is because oh well yeah, that's nice yeah. he gets freaked out when I put on the drag beard it's, <laughs> it's hilarious oh that's amazing oh um, yeah no, I, I've seen a couple of bits and pieces you've been doing actually and it does look like a good laugh um, it is fun it is keeps fun. everybody out of trouble hey and you can find me on YouTube I'm still on YouTube I'm always on YouTube what? Come, come find me plug 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 that's yes, a Ryan I've got a discord as well come and chat to me say hello and until next time take care stay inside and uh see you next time bye bye (laughs) remain indoors i love it remain indoors (laughs) don't talk about the event the event